Welcome to the Bulldog Butler Podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Bulldog Butler Podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved. The Bulldog Butler does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Please consult your veterinarian before making any changes in diet or well care practices. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted towards the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the Bulldog Butler or Bull Lobster site is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Bulldog Butler podcast site assume no liability for any activities in conjunction with this podcast or for the use of this podcast in conjunction with any other website, computer, or playing device. Today, I'd like to welcome Melinda Myers. Welcome, Melinda. Hey, thanks so much. It's always fun to talk gardening and pets in the same discussion. One of my favorite things. Okay, well, let's start off. If you're going to make a healthy backyard for your animals, uh, what type of lawn would you suggest? You know, grasses are a wonderful, it's great on their footing. You know, you can wash out the urine, though you may have some dead spots. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but grass, sometimes if you have a dog that tends to, you know, create a trail or is really rough on the lawn, it may be hard to keep it looking its best. Tall fescues are tough in the north and the south. There are some that are more called rhizomaceous, so they're not so clumpy. Ryegrass, perennial ryegrass, is quick to recover, will tolerate traffic. In the north, unfortunately, it's not always reliably hardy, but it germinates quickly, so it's great for patching any damage. It's good to kind of keep your lawn nice and full, and it will grow throughout most of the United States, so that might be an option to consider. Either the rhizomaceous tall fescue and possibly mix in some perennial rye. Well, this is a good thing to know since we are coming into planting season or getting your yard in shape. So now we know the different types. I want to ask you one thing when you just talked about seeding, because a lot of people are getting new houses or will be getting new houses. And of course, they don't really sod too many new houses anymore. And you don't know what you're getting, the hydro seed. What exactly would you say avoid your pet if someone has hydro seed? Because I know in my new house, they hydro seeded. This is a house a long time ago. They hydro seeded the lawn and they overshot it and it stuck to the brick and then I had grass growing on the brick. It was just, it's like anywhere they put it, it grew. So is there too much fertilizer in that basically to let your dog be on it until it grows in? You know, you probably don't want your dog on it until it grows in anyway, just so you have successful seeding. It's usually cellulose with some fertilizer, probably a synthetic. And the difference is synthetic fertilizers are in a form that are pretty, that are readily available for the plant. Organic fertilizers need to break down temperature, moisture, microorganisms in the soil, break it down, releasing bits of the nutrients over time. And one of the benefits of organic fertilizer, it feeds the soil as well as the plants. So I think if you are hydro seeding or even if you're just seeding yourself and putting down straw or any kind of protective mulch just to keep the birds out and help you successful when you're seeding I think doing it in sections because if you have a dog and you do your whole yard where's your dog going to go right over the area you've seeded and so you're going to damage what you're trying to fix so not always practical but probably the most effective is okay we're going to reseed this area or if it's a new house 
maybe you will see the front yard, keep the dog in the back, and then once the front yard's done, you know, do the back or side yard and try to do a variety of areas sectioning it off. Some people will still sod, but they'll be, okay, I'm going to do the front yard because that's visible, or they'll do a part of the backyard because the dog's going to go out there. So they'll pick a smaller area because of the expense of sod and then seed the rest as well. Sod limits your options. Um, if you're down south, you're going to get more of the Bermuda grasses. You may be doing plugs down south because those warm season grasses typically start that way. Some uh, nurseries will carry rhizomaceous tall fescue, as I mentioned, sometimes called a water-wise grass. Once established, it needs less water, maybe a little harder to find. And then there is seed available too. So I think kind of being strategic in how you start your lawn or repair the damage from winter or animals as well. Okay. And what types of fertilizer would you suggest? You brought that up. You know, I, I have to disclose, I work with um, malorganite fertilizer, so I just want to disclose, but it's a, a low nitrogen, slow release fertilizer. And so I'm a real fan of that type of fertilizer, whether, no matter what brand you buy. Um, looking for an organic type, I would think if you're dealing with pets, that's always the safest option. Um, it's going to feed the soil as well as feed the plants. And so most of us don't have ideal soils. You know, they build our house, they scrape off the topsoil. When they make the basement, they spread that subsoil out. And then they put a little bit of topsoil on, throw down the grass seed or sod, and then boom, that's what you get. And then you're fighting that for years. So using organic fertilizer, safer for your pets, um, slow release. So you're encouraging top and root growth evenly. So I think that's a great way to go. And then slow release. So if we get a hot, dry summer, guess what? Those organic are going to sit in the soil and not burn your lawn. Um, and then some of the organics may be appealing to dogs. Um, they're not harmful. Always check with your vet. Um, and the ASPCA has some great information as well um, that they tend to maybe some of those organics have that organic smell and some dogs like to eat that. So you always want to keep your fertilizer secured, maybe in one of those bird feeder tins with a lock top in your shed and your garage out of the way so your dog can't eat large quantities. That's really where the problem happens. If you're starting a lawn, you're going to be incorporating it in the soil before you seed or sod. But once your lawn is up, you'll be applying it over the soil surface. So you always want to keep any chemical, organic, natural, or synthetic out of the reach of your pets, as well as any kids in your family. Okay. Now, we're talking about the different sections. You're talking about the front yard, you know, seed it, sod it, whatever else, and then in the backyard. That's great for someone that's doing a whole thing or a new yeah. home. But say the people that are doing, you know, oh, my yard, I raked up all my leaves, everything else, my yard looks like mm, horrible do these same effects, but maybe we talked about making different sections like, hey, here's the dog's potty section. And then once you had made a different section or using like you talked about, we briefly talked before, um, about putting like a snow fence up to like say, okay, here's the section you're gonna use right now, why we let this one grow, make into a good lawn, everything else, and then switch back and forth. Um, that, yeah, I was just going to say, and if you do a potty area, you know, we did one for Melinda's Garden Moments for one of my TV tips where for the homeowner, we created, they'd ask for pea gravel so they could wash the urine through, you know, do the cleanup. And we put a, a hedge around that area. So it was easy for the dog to access from the house. It was out of sight when you were in the backyard using it. And when you looked out the window, you looked over that area. So visibly, 
it was access accessible for the dog, but you didn't have to look at it and it was easy to clean up. And so training their dog to just use that area, like you're mentioning, and then the yard, they weren't urinating in it and killing spots of grass and they didn't have all the cleanup and they had children. So it reduced the risk of having the poop in the yard that the kids or the guests are going to walk in. So kind of containing where the dog went to the bathroom. And that also helped manage the grass as well. I had not thought of putting a little hedge around it. Because I know you said once before, like putting pea gravel down, something that drains well. Right. That's great. I like that yeah, idea so a lot. I'm thinking, <laughs> even though I live in an apartment now with a terrace, I'm like thinking, get into a house. I'm like going, a little section that's like their own little outdoor area and I don't have to look at it, you know, exactly. every day. Plus the fact is I don't want to go in the yard and pick up because you can pick up, you can do whatever you want, but you know what, you're still going to be out there one day barefoot and go, oh, I didn't get everything or whatever and it's a mess. So Yeah, and if you have company that's not used to dogs, they don't think about it until, like you said, they find that one spot that you missed and then everybody feels kind of bad. So yeah. yeah, so it makes it decorative. And if you don't have room for a hedge, you could do some nice screening with some vines. You know, there's lots of ways that you could strategically place and mask that area. Oh. Such a good idea. I'm liking that better, more and more and more. So do the, uh, let's talk about mulches. If you have mulch that you're going to put around your flower beds and we'll talk about what you, oh, there's your cat in the background again. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take that he part always out. comes out. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to do mulches in the garden, what kind of mulch would you suggest? So we have dogs, let's just say, that just like to eat everything. And if you have a stick in the yard, they're going to go get that stick and chew on it. But so what type of mulch would you suggest for a dog? You may yard. want to look at some of the playground mulches that are even size and smaller. Obviously, you know your dog better than anyone else, so you have to decide, are they going to go after that? But avoid the types, as you mentioned, that have more sticks and larger pieces. The rough the rough wood chips I find are very appealing to dogs, plus those sticks can get lodged in their mouth. The smaller pieces that are finely cut, they're tub ground is what they're called. They're usually sold as playground mulch. So they're more even sizes, much smaller pieces, a little less appealing to dogs for eating. But again, you know your pet the best. One thing, evergreen needles are excellent, easy to walk on, uh, not very inviting. I don't hear about dogs eating those. So a lot of times, if you have a spruce or a pine and you get a buildup of evergreen needles underneath, they're wonderful. They're pretty. They're attractive. They don't make the soil too acidic. Shredded leaves. You know, if you have trees in your yard in the fall, you mentioned raking leaves, rake them up with or shred them up with your lawnmower in the fall, bag them up or then spread them right away as a mulch. They break down, they suppress weeds, they conserve moisture, and they're nice and soft on your feet and your hands when you're in there gardening. Don't do cocoa bean shells. They're chocolate byproduct, obviously, and it can be toxic to dogs. So skip the cocoa bean shells because they're not good for the health of your dog. Very good note. Now, when you mentioned the things for a uh, playground, uh, like under, you said they use this particular mulch for like uh, play, around playground equipment. Right. Any synthetic or man-made mulches, because I know they also do like a rubber or synthetic mulch they do around play yards. Would you suggest these things? 
One of the, the concerns I have about the rubber mulches is they're made from ground up tires and sometimes the first year or so the fiberglass fibers are still there before they work their way through the soil. Okay. Um, talking to a few teachers who said when they've used that in the playgrounds and the schools that it sometimes is an issue with kids having an allergic reaction. It doesn't help improve the soil. So I always worry about you know, if, we, if we're going to mulch, let's do some things that are not only going to look good, that suppress the weeds and conserve moisture, but improve our soil as well so that you get multiple benefits. So before you use the tire mulch, and then they have some that are made that you can put around your trees as well, you know, that may be something to consider. A lot of times I'll use cardboard under my organic mulches you know, my wood chips or evergreen needles or my shredded leaves because the cardboard really helps suppress those weeds and then it breaks down and improves the soil over time. So you get a double benefit. So you really help manage those weeds. And, you know, I don't think there'd be a problem with your pets because it's just cardboard laying down and then you have something on top of it to look good. The fabric, some people use landscape fabrics as mulch. That's that black fabric. It lets air, light, and water through. That's fine as your first layer under stone. But if you put it under any organic matter like leaves or evergreen needles or wood chips, when those break down, you have compost forming on top of the weed barrier and then weed seeds blow in or the turf grows in and then you've got weeds rooted through that and you have a mess. So great for under stone mulch, those landscape fabric, not so good under organic mulches. Learn something new every day because I know just looking at the neighborhoods that I've lived yes. in, how many people put down and they would put it down the black landscape mulch first, then they come through with the, and basically make the hole for the tree or the bush through that landscaping tarp, plug it in, and then put the mulch over top of it. So they just have a mess. I don't think they do happens. eventually down the road. It's awful. When I used to teach it, I made my students, I taught at horticulture to technical college. I made my students rip out mulch that my predecessor had put down because the grass had grown into that landscape fabric and I wanted them to remember what it looks like five years after they install it because it's easy to put it down oh it looks great and they never went back and don't know the mess they've left for the homeowner and so this is one of my missions in life so thank you to get that word out to to folks to save yourself a lot of hassle down the road what I've also looked at because it's like uh when they do there's office parks in every town and every city or whatever else, but an office park or also like just say even outside the Home Depot or a shopping mall, they come in, they make the landscape look real pretty all in a day and it's right. done. But someone's going to maintain it. And the only thing they're going to maintain with is the blower. They're going to bring the people out with a vacuum on the back and go brr and blow everything away. But you start looking at that a year or a year or two down the road. You're like, oh, look at all these weeds. Oh, look, I see the landscaping tarp. I see this. Everything's blown off, gone away. Nothing's there. And then trees are dying because they're planted in the middle of a shopping plaza or whatever else. I'm like, uh-huh. So it looks good for the moment. If you can have somebody come in, like you're doing a video of someone's you know, staged house or whatever else. Look at that great yes. landscaping. But as it goes down, they didn't plant it the right way. So. Exactly. And there's a lot of a lot of concern with stormwater management right now, you know, flooding and all of the, the weather events that we're having that are those hundred year floods that are coming every five years. And trees can be an important part of managing that. And part of how they manage it is one being healthy and mature, but also the soil underneath and the organic matter. If you think about the woods, there's the leaf litter and the soil so rich and nutri nutritious. And like you said, we come in with the blower and we blow all that organic matter out. 
perfect for the weeds, bad for the health of the tree. And then the stormwater runs off into the storm sewer and we have more issues. And so leaving that organic matter in an attractive manner or in your landscape is very important, as you mentioned. Okay. Um, the stormwater thing, real quick, a story, whatever else. Here in the city, they built up around the, around the um, East River over on the Brooklyn side. And they built these berms because they built a whole lot of piers out. So they just built these whole dirt berms, like right. about 30 feet tall or so. They planted them all with rye glass rye grass and every time uh i think it's rye grass this stuff that grows very very fast and very very right. tall and it goes over goes and that's all they did well guess what it's all died they didn't put any other trees in or whatever else and now it just looks like it looks like a wet dog because it's all those you know tan grass that just sat there and rotted and rotted and it's like there's no root structure there they didn't do anything else to it and it's like those berms are settling and they're getting lower and lower and lower where they're used for screening and it's like well I think that was 30 feet to 40 feet to start with. It looks wow. like 25 now because it's all run off. And I'm like, I knew it from the start. I'm like, this is what they do when they do, you know, road construction on the sides of roads and everything else. But they have all the other plants that are going to, trees that they planted. They didn't plant the trees there. So there's no root structure that grew in to hold up this dirt. I'm like, what do you think was going to happen? It's been three years now and it's just getting lower and lower and lower. So. And yeah, and one of the things a lot of a lot of communities are trying to use more native plants, but native plants need requirement to become established. Just because they're native doesn't mean you plant the seed and you walk away. Right. Our soils are not the same. We brought in a lot of disturbed soil from construction sites. And in prairies back in the day, there were natural fires that kept the weeds down and managing them too. And I think sometimes that's the step that's often missed. As you're mentioning, we put stuff in, we walk away and expect that nature's gonna take care of it. Well, not right away because we want it to look a certain way and the pressures are different in an urban setting or suburban setting than it was back on the prairie many years ago. So that post care is so important, whether it's tree shrubs or grasses, as you mentioned. So talking about trees, what kind of trees would you suggest if you're going to be planting? I know about, uh, we can talk about the maintenance of the trees that you have, about falling things, but if you're looking for something for good shade, that's gonna you know, enhance the soil for a backyard with a pet, what would you suggest planting? You know, I think one of the first things is because so many of your listeners are all over the country is one of the first things to consider is check to see what is hardy to your area, winter-wise for the really cold winter, the average winter temperature, that's our hardiness zone. And those in the South have to worry about the extreme heat. And even those of us in the North, you know, paper birches, when I moved to Wisconsin, paper birches were everywhere. Well, they rather be further North. They like cool, moist soil. That white bark is beautiful. They're nice, lovely trees. But if you put them in front of a lawn, in a lawn with short grass, that's like a prairie for them. And they end up having insect and disease problems. So look for things that are hardy. You know, oak trees are often overlooked. They're long-term, older trees that take a while, 17 to 20 years before they start producing those acorns. So acorns can be an issue. If you've got a dog that likes to eat things, you may want to skip those. Uh, most trees will do some flowering and fruiting of sorts. Some is more appealing. Maples are great. Looking at maples, if you have a wide expanse of grass, sugar maples are a wonderful tree. 
red maples are excellent, but they need acidic soil. So you need to make sure your pH is correct for that. Um, lindens have some problems with Japanese maples and some bores if they're in the wrong place, but those are also big, beautiful trees. Now maples, you may remember from your childhood, those little helicopters that mm -hmm. fly down. Yeah, the seed pod. So, you know, wondering if that's an issue. There are sterile varieties that are not supposed to produce fruit. Unfortunately, sometimes over time they will. Ginkgo trees are wonderful with a wide range of hardiness, very few, no insect or disease problems, but you want to get a male clone. And if you go to a nursery and they say, well, I, what do you mean? I don't know if it's a male or female, don't buy the tree. Male clones don't produce fruit. The fruit from ginkgos, you probably know about the ginkgo biloba, you eat it for your memory and your health. The fruit are like the size of an apricot, but they stink. They smell like <laughs> something, yeah, you think your dog went somewhere. <laughs> and so it's a mess for you to clean up um, and something you don't want, but it's a wonderful tree because it turns yellow in the fall and the leaves drop within one or two days. So cleanup is very easy. Um, it's a little slow to get that beautiful shape, but a male clone is a wonderful option option as well. So that might be one to start with. Maybe the red maple, there's the Freeman maple, which is a cross between the silver and the red, and there are male clones of those as well that don't produce the seed pods. So if you're looking to avoid those seed pods, that might be one to consider. A lot of people like honey locust, again, get a sterile variety that doesn't produce those banana, friend called them rotten bananas on the plant. And that's a nice one too, because it has filtered shade. So you can still grow some grass or plants underneath and the leaves just kind of disintegrate in the lawn so it's not one that requires a lot of cleanup. Kentucky coffee tree is another one of my favorite. Again get a male clone so that you don't have they look like choco tacos if you know that tree the fruit so you want one that doesn't produce those if you don't want to clean it up. Very stark in the winter but the leaves are huge little leaflets but lots of them on the individual leaves so it looks very tropical in your backyard. Again one that you can clean up fairly easy and if you get a male clone you won't have the fruit and the bark's really got a lot of texture to it so you get some interest all year round, all year round and great yellow fall color as well. That is quite a variety. My mind is going like, I need to get a yard right now. Cause I'm like, I, I, I have a big yard too. And I'm like, where am I? Can I put some more trees? <laughs> Cause exactly. it's, I, I'm like, yeah. you, know, you know, and the thing is when I usually put a tree and when I have in the past, I'm like, Oh, you know, it's, it's so small right now, whatever. And thinking, yes, I'm still alive. And I've gone to like Google earth <laughs> and looked at like houses that I've used to own. And I'm like, look how big that darn tree is now. I'm like, this is gorgeous. It's been like a few years, not like, you know, decades and decades okay. but like it grew it took on you know made them it's still there no one took it out okay and, uh, go ahead. oh go ahead sorry no go ahead I was going to say, and you may want to protect your tree. I did some landscaping for um, my ex-sister-in-law, and, and she helped me with some painting. So I did some landscaping, and she put in some small-scale trees, and her she had a golden lab at the time who just destroyed those trees. So I, she didn't heed my advice, which was put a little fencing around them until they get established. You know, you know your dog, and you know how your dog's going to react. And so if your dog is a digger or one that looks at a small tree as a big stick to play with, which is what this dog did. Uh, and it dug, pulled the trees out, it dug them up. And so starting with a little larger tree, you know, just a couple inches in diameter, you don't want to go any larger than that. But that might give you that edge that you need so that your dog's less 
been attracted to it. Maybe we'll have less, you know, maybe not takes to digging it up or chewing on the bark, but a fence, a little bit of fencing, hardware cloth around, which is like chicken wire, only smaller mesh and a little sturdier, couple inches into the soil, good sturdy stakes, keep it like a small fence, at least four feet high, maybe higher if your dog tends to jump up, but that might just give you that edge to get that tree started and established. Oh, that's, my mind is just still reeling. I'm not going, okay, that's why certain things in the past have like gone away. Um, one thing I did not ask, and I'm going to go back to it for one minute, is so many people, because you can buy it everywhere around here, um, because in New York, you can buy it in Virginia, everything else, is shredded hardwood mulch. We have right. the, you know, because that basically is mixed with, I believe, some sort of soil or organic um, or topsoil mixed in with it. It's not just the, the wood mulch. Is that still a good ground cover or not? Yeah. Yeah, and the shredded hardwood, probably what you're seeing that looks like soil is where it's already started to compost or decompose. Oh. So it's still that bark. I th It's a great mulch. It's wonderful for your plants. It kind of knits together. And so it's it tends to stay in place, especially on slopes. I like it. I'll have to use twice shredded hardwood bark because around perennials, it, it breaks down a little faster. So I'm not tying up the nitrogen, but it knits together nicely. It may be less appealing to your dogs as well. And availability. I mean, I think as you travel around the country, you see different products for mulches based on what's available. You know, what's the byproduct? Like you said, out east, we see a lot of shredded hardwood bark. Some places in the south, they use pecan shells ground up and shredded, which I think could be very appealing to dogs to eat. Um, I've even seen oyster shells ground up and used as mulch. So a lot of it's based on what's available in your area. So yeah, looking at your dog's behavior, are they, are they diggers? Are they eaters? Are they going to chew it up? And then making sure, always consult with your vet whenever in doubt, because they're the experts in that area. You know, is this something that could cause a problem with my pet? And with bark and wood products, it's more the chewing than anything in terms of um, being, you know, being Toxic. a problem with them getting sick from it. Okay. I just remember the oyster shells, seen it, you know what I've seen it on? Seen it on the landscaping tarp. Oh. <laughs> they okay. put that down, they put up the crushed oyster shells, and that's very big in the south. And right. also the pine needles. I did those as a kid. That was our mulch. We went right. out because we had pine trees and like a forest type thing. Went out and collected them because oddly enough, if you go into a pine forest, the ground is very, very, very clean and flat because right. nothing is growing. It's just the pine trees reaching for the top. So you can go out and like take your hands, and just scoop up huge things of pine needles. And we brought them home. We put them around all of the shrubbery. Right. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful. So and did it after year by year. Okay. Back out of the mulches. Okay. Uh, we talked about, let's go into uh, perennials, perennials, annuals, things that you want to plant and all the pretty flowers. What do you think are toxicities that you should avoid planting for dogs? Because I just know, not from the bulldog standpoint, but I know from family members that have had labs and golden retrievers that when you want to plant the flowers, they've come back in, like going out in the yard, they've come back in and have one in their mouth. I'm like, because it, it's brand new, it's got the topsoil smell, usually has some manure in it, you know, when they planted it, he's like, right. oh, isn't this great? I'm going to bring this back and show you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's just like with your lawn, especially when you're just getting your garden started, fencing off the area, even though it's not the most attractive, will help keep the animals out. Um, you know, a lot of our native plants are so popular now because of the benefits for the birds and the butterflies and brings in the hummingbirds. So all those other things that I think pet 
pet people also love nature and love all the you know wildlife that comes the ones that don't destroy your garden but the birds and the butterflies and so I love to do things like cone flowers the native cone flower purple and pale purple cone flowers are excellent choices echinacea we know in terms of we see it often sold in uh, health food stores for health and well-being um, ornamental the native grasses like prairie drop seed um, you know it's a grass so they may be tempted to eat it but it, it if anything it might make them throw up but not make them you know sick and die and it's a nice hardy grass culver's root is another one that's a upright growing plant black-eyed susans there's a new one from all america selection which is um, American Gold Rush, which is resistant to a leaf spot that's taken out a lot of the rudbeckias that people may have grown in the past. So it, it's disease-free, so it looks pretty from start to finish. And the seed heads from both the coneflower and the rudbeckia help bring in birds over winter, so that's kind of nice. And I have a cat that lives inside that loves to watch the birds, so it's entertainment for my cat. He can't get there to eat the birds, but he can watch them and it adds some motion and color to my landscape as well. Um, other things, gay feather, liatris is another wonderful, it's great as a cut flower, great for the butterflies, excellent. Bee balm or Monarda, another one that brings in the hummingbirds, bees, and butterflies. It has a kind of a minty citrusy fragrance. It does reseed readily, so you'll be thinning it out, maybe starting new gardens with it. But those are some of the, the things I would start with um, to get started. And then always, again, check with the ASPCA. American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals has a great website on what's toxic and what's not. It's not 100%, but it's a good starting point. And of course, your vet as well. Okay, great. I love the fact that you gave another alternative because we could go through this, 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 because I know the plants I'm not supposed to do. Like, not supposed to do a geranium. I'm not supposed to do this. But that can get to like, you know, what I'm growing on my terrace or what I'm growing in, you know, a very, very, very small balcony, whatever else, which Basically, at this point, having a bulldog uh, for so many years, I just grew herbs and I put them up basically on the wall on those um, what like a called? vertical planter or raised yes. bed or did that because I did raised beds, which is also something that we want to talk about. If we're doing vegetables or herbs, whatever else in your yard, you can always do a raised planter. You know, keep everything away, keep them from digging things up, keep them from eating it because we had talked on the phone once before and talked about the the foliage on certain things like a potato and the flowers that it brings out the potatoes underneath the ground we don't cook when we cook for a dog you can yeah it's a whole other thing but we can cook a potato it has to be cooked vegetables for a dog steamed at least but no potato skins they're toxic so but you told me about that the foliage coming out and the potential flowers coming out are also toxic so yeah, members that. of that whole family, potatoes and tomatoes are related and they're mm -hmm. Solanaceae. And so that's toxic. So that's why we don't eat the, eat the leaves. But potatoes, as you were saying, flower and then they form a little mini that looks like a little tomato on top. Don't eat those. And your dog shouldn't eat those either. Um, you can grow potatoes in a container, which is kind of fun. Again, you'll want to keep it away from the dog. But if it's in a pot, it might be easier to elevate or keep out of the way or out of the reach. Um, and you don't want your dog going to the bathroom in your vegetable garden either. So it's a, it's a good for both of you if you raise the bed. Better for the plants, better for you. Keeps the dog out and keeps them safe as well. And if it's a raised bed, you may need some fencing too. If it's a tall dog or even a small dog that can jump, you may need to have some decorative fencing around the edge just to, to keep them out of that bed as well. Perfect, okay.
Um, herbs. Yes. Same thing. Any herbs that we want to stay away from planting because some herbs, case in point, you know, I have not replanted some of my herbs on my terrace for years. They just keep on coming up like mint. I planted it once, it's still there. Time, <laughs> it's still there coming up. I've got chives coming up now, which, you know, I've got a husband that's like looking to bake potatoes going, finally, we're going to have chives. I'm like, yes, the frost left, the chives are coming up. We can like harvest them again. So are there certain things, catnip for your cat or whatever else, certain things that we should, even if they're elevated, cats can get up and get them or some dogs can get them that stay away from, do not plant. Yeah, and I think one of the nice things about now we see a lot of containers or, or planters that can be raised pretty high and out of reach even for cats that jump. And I think anything that, um, and right off the top of my head, and you may be better on what herbs that you want to avoid, I find usually pets, cats are pretty smart about what not to eat. Catnip will bring in the cats. So even if my cat is an indoor cat, if I have catnip out in my garden, one, it can take over. So I never plant it in the garden. I'll put it in a pot. But that brings in the stray cats I don't really want in my yard. You know, I keep my cat inside. And so if you're worried about feral cats moving in, catnip is one of those things that will bring them into the landscape. And um, growing them in pots, catnip and mints, as you mentioned, and oregano reseed. They're perennials. They'll reseed, but they also spread. And so it can take over a garden. So those are things that are great in a container on a patio where the seeds don't have a chance to reach the soil nearby. Chives, you mentioned. I have chives coming up in the cracks of my patio as well as the pots that in my garden. And so I find, you know, I find the wildlife leaves it alone, but it's great for the baked potatoes, as you mentioned. I'm with you and your partner. I'm like, yay, it's time for fresh <laughs> chives out of the garden. I can't, I'm so excited. It's such a difference. And so you, you had some good things about the way you use your herbs with your pets. I love my herbs for the texture and the fragrance. I mix them in with my flowers. And one of my neighbors said, when I lived in the city in a small city lot, I wanted everything, flowers and edibles and herbs. And she goes, you must be a great cook. And I'm like, not really. Why? And she goes, you got all these herbs. And I'm like, they're pretty. They smell good. So don't look at herbs necessarily as I'm not a great cook or how am I going to use them? Or, well, I don't have room on my patio to put pots, but they do look great with some of your flowers as well. And again, just making sure that, you know, if you're pet is attracted to anything certain it makes them ill definitely skip those but I know you have some recipes that you use using your herbs for your pets for your bulldogs as well yeah I take uh I grow lavender just the uh French version the sometimes it flowers sometimes it doesn't but it's the light purple and right. um they grow and you can I what I really like when you say plant with the other plants is they're there and even if you run by on a path like your <sighs> guests are walking and they just brush it. The fragrance hits the air. It's just, it's very nice. You can put, you have having a bad day or whatever else, or you've cooked something or whatever that your hands sink, you can go out there and just take the lavender and run your hands through it. And all of a sudden your hands are like smell incredible. I take it, dry it. I mix and mix it with oil. And then I take that oil and mix it with alcohol and make it into a spray. Not to spray on your pet, but lavender oil or lavender the spray to go through the uh, atomizer on the area where your pet sleeps or on your bed or whatever else causes calmness and makes your pet calmer. So, you know, I have a few people that I like give it to and they're like, okay, I just have a small plant, but it comes back every year. I mean, it's bigger now than it was ever. And it's, they're still in planters on my terrace. I'm like, I'm going to have to get a bigger yard to move these things. <laughs> it's, it's just getting too big, you know, but 
that's the way I use that. Other than that, parsley, I will put into a dog's food when I mix it all together, you know, I, because I, that grows here also. That's about it for um, that. Everything else I use for my own cooking. And it's great because, like you said, they're fragrant. And it does aromatherapy. I always say gardeners were into aromatherapy before it was hip and trendy. Like you said, you brush against the lavender. Mint helps with alertness for, for us. And elderberry syrup is a big one right now where people are harvesting the elderberries and creating a syrup. And it's supposed to be good for our health. Now, I don't know about dogs, so don't don't try that with your dog but um, we're seeing a lot of those uh, a lot of those herbs used for our own mental health and well-being from an aromatherapy standpoint just like you did for your dog well plus the fact is i'm here in new york city if i have a rosemary plant by the way oh. they, they grow and they grow and they grow and they keep on growing even if you cut them down they're going to come back and mine came back in the snow all green so wow. but if you had to go to the store and you had a recipe that says oh you want to like chop up you know rosemary and like uh cover the meat with it or whatever you're going to use it for going to the store and buying it at 2.99 a little itty bitty pack that's not going to save in your fridge it never does um or any of the herbs even parsley a little bunch of it 2.99 or go out to my terrace or go out to my yard, take a little pair of scissors, cut them off, you know, and yeah, I've got what I need. Same way as I go out with little scissors and cut the chives off from my baked potato as I've cooked the potato. It's just economical and it's very nice. And it's like, oh, I've got to go get those herbs, but oh, they may go dry in my fridge or go wet and nasty before I'm ready to use them. So it's just a good thing to do. And it's more nutritious. And the closer you, you from picking to eating, the more nutritious and the better the flavor. And for those in the North who are green with envy right now, listening to you talk about your rosemary, you can bring them inside and try to overwinter them because in the cold North, it does, even colder than New York City, I guess. I'm, I'm impressed. You probably have a lot of microclimate being right in the city and on your terrace. But you know, those of us in Wisconsin can't keep ours alive over winter. So we have to bring them inside or start over. But even when they're dead they smell good inside oh yeah so if, if, if it dies but the thing is we had a very 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 mild winter here it really, really wasn't existing. a normal it, extremely cold for you no it was it was you know we didn't have uh snow in march at all so not one flake it's like okay great not one flake in march i'm like okay um didn't have to bundle up like you know the michelin tire man with all this stuff because <laughs> it was never that cold you know like the past but things are changing um, yeah. but if we, I know one of the bigger thing is th that you like, is you like to basically have a whole, um, make your, basically your whole backyard or whatever else, like a whole living structure, like bring in the birds, bring in the beets to get rid of the insects and don't plant this plant that. What would you suggest things that you would do in your own yard or for all the listeners to do not only just a pet safe backyard, but how to make your own structure of like make the environment work for you like bring in the birds to eat the insects bring in what would you suggest you know a couple things and and if you want to bring in the birds butterflies and bees you're going to create a healthy environment for your dog as well and you your bulldog will be a lot happier because you won't be using pesticides that kill the insects because you need the insects some of the pollinators we want, the butterflies and the bees, native and the honeybees, but you also have the birds you want to come in to eat those. And so we're not going to be using, you know, pesticides like crazy. We're going to instead look for ways to be more environmentally friendly. So we're going to provide water for the insects and the birds, a bird bath. You may want to elevate it so your dog doesn't drink all of it. Some people will put 
marbles, which again, you better elevate, or stones or something in their bird bath so that the birds and the butterflies aren't submerged. Again, you probably don't want marbles if your dog's going to eat those. Um, you want to have maybe a damp puddle and you take a bucket of sand, drill some holes in the bottom, fill it with like playground sand, play box sand, sandbox sand, keep it damp, put a little sea salt or wood ash on the surface and you'll have the bees and you have the butterflies coming, lapping up and enjoying the minerals. A big flat stone so that those insects can spread their wings and warm up. Those are some things to create the habitat in addition to all the plants that I mentioned before. Um, I grow a lot of trees that do produce fruit, but, the bird, but those that the birds clean up before they even hit the ground. I have a service berry or June berry and it produces, um, they look like little blueberries, have a nutty blueberry flavor. They're edible. They are related to apples, but I find the robins and the cedar waxwings, I can't even get them off the tree. They clean them up before they hit the ground. Again, you want to monitor and make sure that your dog doesn't get into them. Um, crab apples, the new cultivars that are out there now, have persistent fruit. Um, I had a candy mint crab apple in my city lot when I lived there, and it would flower, beautiful flowers. The fruit would persist all winter. In spring, the robins came and cleaned up the fruit in two days. Again, it never hit the ground. But you always need to, you know your dog the best, you know the way you manage your landscape and what you want to do. So it's always, I always say what's great about gardening is you get to decide what you want to put in your yard and what you want to do to attract those insects and butterflies and bees and birds and keep your bulldog and other pets safe as you're designing your landscape. And so I have that mix of a lot of perennials. I have bulbs so come up early. Um, tulips, if the deer don't get them and the rabbits don't get them, they're safe. Daffodils, animals tend to leave alone, which is a good thing. Um, and I haven't heard of any dogs digging them up. And so I think those are some things for those early visitors. And then the perennials we talked about, getting some early season, mid and late season bloomers, then leaving things stand for winter um, adds interest and brings in the birds as well. On a last note, one thing we haven't reached yet is uh, inside. So a yes. lot of people are going to have inside houseplants. What would you suggest? You know, and I have, I have cats. So you talked mm -hmm. about cats being able to reach anything and they'll just eat to annoy you. And I love cats. I've always had cats, but if you own a cat, you know, they'll just eat on something to get your attention. So again, check the ASPCA and your vet about toxic, non-toxic plants, put them high, you know, hanging baskets and make sure you trim those stems so that those dangly stems aren't as tempting. Um, high shelves might be another option for anything that you think they might be tempted to to damage, even if it is safe for them to eat. I have a room that I keep the door closed. I overwinter some of my plants and I have things they shouldn't eat like begonias. They should not eat begonias, hyacinths, they are toxic to them. And so I keep those plants in a room where I don't let the cat in. So he can't get in there and eat something that's going to make him sick or worse yet kill him. So I keep those plants isolated. And those are just things I'm overwintering that'll go back out on my patio when the weather warms up. Um, and the other thing is, they love grassy like plants. So thinking about the things that tempt them, dangling stems, thin leaves that look like grass, you may wanna grow cat grass, you know, so that they eat that and not the other plants that you've got in there. And then digging, 
you know, that could be a problem with your bulldog. It could be a problem with your cats. It could be a problem with your other pets. So the mulch idea that we talked about outside might work inside as well. For cats, I found big chunk mulch kept my one cat from digging in and using my big planters as litter box, very annoying. Some people will cover the soil with aluminum foil, crumpled up pieces of aluminum foil so it makes noise. There are things called cat scat mats and they're just rubber mats, kind of think of your, your foot mat, but turn it upside down and the little rubber pegs are up. It won't hurt them, but you can cut it to size and that that would keep your dog or cat from digging in there as well and keep them from using that as a litter box. And then again, when you're using pesticides, you want to make sure that you're using organic products or just live with it. I have scale insects on some of my plants I bring in for winter. I just try to keep them alive and put them out and the birds clean them up for me in the summer and then I struggle with them and use organic sprays like year-round spray oil, which is an organic product. And that that I don't have to worry about my pet eating something I've treated, but I do minimal control because I figure nature will take care of it when it's outside. Right. I, the only one thing I could say is probably with well, the bulldog is uh, of everything we've talked about, it's probably not the best idea when you were talking about mulch, lay down, um, lay down cardboard. If you've ever watched anything, you can just go and put, I even have it on my side or whatever else. My dog would go nuts when we came in with boxes, and we live in the city, so okay. Get, oh, okay. They love cardboard. It isn't a fix. It, every bulldog you can look, and the bulldog will be sitting in the box. You get a box, <laughs> they want to sit in it. They want to tear it apart, rip it apart, shred it. So I would just say on the outside, when you're using that as a landscaping blanket tool, maybe not the cardboard because every bulldog I know goes for cardboard. Some of them, yeah, they they rip it apart. You cannot, you can run just a box in from Amazon, and we get like a few of them a day in deliveries. And our dog would look at him. He could be asleep. You're like, what? What is that? What is that? What is that? And we put it on the floor, and he'd tear into it. We just had to stop him before he got to whatever was inside. But they love cardboard. <laughs> you bring up a good point. I think you know, I've I've owned cats my whole life. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Worked with homeowners with various dogs. And you know your pet the best or your breed of pet the best. So hopefully taking some of these ideas and go, oh, this, one's, this one might work for me. Oh, we're not, like you said, the cardboard. My cats play in the cardboard boxes. They play in bags. But again, they're inside. So right. I, you know, I haven't had to worry about them outside digging and haven't seen the, you know, but I don't have a bulldog. So it's good. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's always about finding what works for you, your landscape style, and your pets as well. Well, just after we're done here, what else? When you're looking for some fun, just put a bulldog <laughs> and cardboard box. I will. Run <laughs> the videos because they're everywhere. Anyway. That's great. Melinda, anything else you want to add? No, I think it's always about, you know, if you create a healthy environment for yourself, chances are it'll be a healthy environment for your pet or vice versa. And so I think doing your research, listening to your other podcasts, because you have a wide range of experts on about nutrition and other things that keeping your bulldog safe. I think the more research we do, the better off we are in looking to experts who really focus on your area and then taking those ideas and deciding which ones work for creating that beautiful beautiful landscape inside or out that you want, but keeping your pets, your children, and yourself safe is always a priority. Well, I can't thank you enough. This has been delightful. I could go on for quite more time. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we'll just have to do another one. But um, what I'm going to do is at the end of this, I'm going to give all your information that people get in touch with you, look at your books, look at all the research. And if they have a lot more questions or whatever else, we'll have a question and answer period. How about that another time? That sounds great. I'd love to do it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Melinda. Take Thank you for listening. Please send questions, comments, or future podcast ideas to us via email at bullobster at gmail.com or via Twitter at bulldog under slash butler or follow us on Facebook at Oliver the Bulldog. Thanks again and have a great day.